0: You are listening to Locked On Ravens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Tony Lombardi with Russell Street Report, and thanks so much for joining me today. Here's what I have in mind for today's podcast. It's time to look ahead to Jacksonville, but before we do, there's a bit more we learned during that Cleveland game that is worthy of discussion, and that's the performances of Sharice Wright and Joe Flacco. Mike Wallace, he seems to be carrying a big chip on his shoulder. Does that make him better? Michael Pierce. Who is he and where did he come from? And how on earth did he go undrafted? We'll talk about that. The Ravens, according to national pundits, are the worst 2-0 and team in the National Football League. Do you believe that? The Ravens face the Jaguars this week in a pick 'em game. The over-under currently is 47.5. We'll revisit the history of that series and talk about a couple of current Jaguars who have vast potential, and both could have been wearing purple and black. It's been quite a while since the Ravens started 3-0. and What might it mean if they've returned home with an unblemished record? What kind of team will the Ravens see in Jacksonville? What have they done so far? Are they any better than the team the Ravens should have beaten in 2015 at the bank? We'll touch down on that. And we'll finish up with the NFL's touchback rule. Is it working the way the masterminds of the league had intended? Is it achieving what they had hoped? So that's today's menu, and let's start off with the Cleveland aftermath. Sharice Wright had a terrific game against the Bills. He was the best player on the field that day. He was making tackles. He had three tackles for losses. Now, oftentimes when a cornerback leads your team in tackles, that's usually not a good sign. But Sharice Wright took down ball carriers behind the line of scrimmage against the Bills three times. And he made some terrific tackles and avoided some key blocks to make that happen. That was against the Bills. In Cleveland, he was arguably the worst player on the field. He went from best to worst. He played off wide receivers by 10 yards in that 4th and 3 situation in the 4th quarter, in the waning minutes of the 4th quarter. He missed three tackles, and also in that final drive by the Browns, he failed to keep Corey Coleman inbounds, even though the Browns were out of timeouts. A key, key play has to be made there, a tackle to keep him in bounds. You know the guy's trying to get out of bounds. That's a cardinal sin to let him get out of bounds when they did not have a single timeout on the board. So to say there's inconsistency with Sharice Wright would be an understatement. If there's any consistency... It's that he's been consistently bad through camp and the preseason. And maybe the Bills game was the aberration, not the Browns game. And if that's true, the Ravens need to get Will Davis on the field. Davis has been down for both games so far. The Ravens instead had Sheldon Price and Maurice Kennedy up for both games. Maybe those guys are better on special teams. Maybe Jerry Rosberg's pounding his fist on the table when the team's trying to figure out its inactive list, and Jerry wins those arguments. And Will Davis isn't as adept at playing special teams as Sheldon Price and Maurice Kennedy. But if Sharice Wright's sloppy play continues, they've got to have Will Davis active. Because Will Davis, throughout the preseason and during training camp, was arguably the best cover guy that the Ravens had. Joe Flacco. Let me put this out there now. Joe has all of the ability in the world. What he lacks is consistency and technical efficiencies. Let me explain. We've seen two versions of Joe oftentimes in the same game. We saw it in Cleveland. He made poor decisions with the football, and he threw off his back foot early in that game. He could have easily had four interceptions on the day, but instead he had two, and his accuracy suffers greatly when he fails to step into his throws. When he does, he's got a cannon. We all know that. He's got a laser, and he hits his guys in stride when he steps into his throws. But too often, bad mechanics set in for Joe, and he makes poor decisions with the football at times too. And you have to question how he seals the, sees the field at times. Joe Hayden's first pick was a result of him just staring down Steve Smith, and he paid little to no attention to Hayden, the best corner on the field. Later in the game, Joe had an opportunity to hit Perryman on a deep ball inside the numbers, but instead, he threw it towards Hayden, who was outside the numbers, which forced Perryman to sort of peel back towards the sideline again and outside the numbers, when inside the numbers, The only thing standing between Perryman and a touchdown was green grass. Got to clean that up, Joe. As for his efficiency, Joe doesn't sell play action very well. He can when he wants to. and He doesn't sell screens very well. And screens are dead on arrival with this team, whether they be flanker screens, tight end screens, or screens to a running back. They are just sloppy and, and almost dead on arrival. And how many times do you see Joe Flacco just throwing the ball at the feet of his intended receiver during a screen pass? That's got to change. So, again, back to the play action. There was a play in the second quarter. The Ravens were down 20-2, to and Joe stuck the ball right into the belly of Justin Forsett and the Cleveland Browns defenders bit big time. Nine guys in the box on that play action, arguably a tenth creeping up in there. And that's why three guys were wide open on the play. When he sells it, they bite. And when they bite with that big arm of Joe's, good things can happen. Assuming, of course, Chris Moore can hold on to the ball, which he did not do in that second quarter, and it should have been a touchdown. That's not on Joe, of course. But the fact of the matter is, Joe doesn't sell that play action enough, and he needs to do that in order to open up the field for his receivers. So it's his ninth season. It's time for him to clean those things up, and he ignores some of the finer points of quarterbacking. I've been criticized for criticizing him on those things, but until he cleans it up, and it's the, again, this is his ninth season, and he's one of the most elite uh, paid players in the league, you've got to do those things, Joe. One of Joe's favorite targets thus far has been Mike Wallace who is playing, as we said at the top of the show, with a chip on his shoulder. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll discuss that, the Ravens' diamond in the rough, and why the national media is dissing your Baltimore Ravens. I'm Tony Lombardi. We'll be right back. And now, insurance-minded speeches from GEICO. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the GEICO app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the GEICO app. Look it in the mouth. Get amazing services. Thank you. You are listening to Locked On Ravens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network Your team, every day. I'm Tony Lombardi with Russell Street Report. Before the break, we touched on Mike Wallace and that big chip on his shoulder. Now, many wrote Wallace off after scoring just two TDs in Minnesota last season on what amounted to 72 targets from Teddy Bridgewater. Flacco has targeted Mike 12 times in 2016, and he already has three TDs. Now, Wallace fits the Ravens' system, and he's a really good match For Joe's big arm. Now, many wrote Wallace off. A player has a choice. He can listen to it and let it beat him, or he can take that negative energy and turn it into something positive. And since Mike Wallace's arrival at the castle, he has done nothing but that. Taking that negativity, churned it into energy, and he's producing on the practice field and obviously on the field of play through the first two weeks of the season. Now, it will be interesting to see how the offense develops as Flacco and Wallace build upon that rapport and how that affects the team's big playability as Brashad Perryman and Chris Moore both continue their development as pass catchers and as they get better as route runners as they work with receivers coach Bobby Ingram. Now, we all know that for years the Ravens have had success drafting, or I'm sorry, they've had a success finding undrafted free agents, those players that find their way through the draft, and they land into the unofficial eighth round of the NFL. Now this season, the diamond in the rough that the Ravens have found wears Pierce on his back. That's Michael Pierce. And judging from his play during camp in the preseason through the first two games, you have to wonder how this myth was missed on draft day, or draft weekend for that matter. I looked up online on several different publications, at least I tried to find some information on Michael Pierce, and there was really little written about him other than most people mentioning his name projected him to go undrafted, which he did. NFL Draft Geek, they had him ranked 55th, in their grouping, which included defensive ends and defensive tackles. So he was 55 in that grouping. Now, comparatively speaking, teammate Willie Henry out of Michigan, who I'm sure that the Ravens had some intel on because of the Harbaugh brothers, Willie was ranked 24th. And so far, whether that be on the practice field and preseason and obviously the regular season because Willie hasn't even been active yet, Michael Pierce has clearly outplayed him. And when you look at Pierce, you know, you see a guy that's big, he's explosive. And I did some research on some footage, I I did find some video highlights on YouTube of Michael Pierce, and I posted them on Russell Street Report. And the guy is just a menacing beast on the field. You know, if you do a search of Pierce, you also find him squatting 725 pounds. Now think about that. Here's a guy who's six feet tall, weighs 340 plus pounds, he seems quick in short spaces, and with that leg strength and that squatty frame, you know he if he's quick to the ball, quick off the snap, he's gonna get up under offensive linemen and gain leverage. And that's exactly what he's done in two games. But you wonder why he still slipped through and to the undrafted status. Maybe he's a guy who just can't play for extended periods of time. I think that he's only had 14 snaps per game so far with the Ravens. And maybe that's okay. If he can, they can keep him productive as a rookie by limiting his snaps, the strength and conditioning guys can work with him the offseason prior to the 2017 season, and maybe he can play more. He can be on the field at more extended periods of time. And that's just a guess on my part as to why the guy was passed up because when you see him on that YouTube search and you look at his videotape, you're going to see a guy that just looks so explosive. Again, they are highlights, so maybe he took plays off, maybe he doesn't have the stamina, and maybe they can get there. But so far, he really, really looks like a diamond in a a rough. So it'll be fun to see what the former Sanford Bulldog does during the weeks ahead. Now Speaking of the weeks ahead, the Ravens are 2-0, and they are looking to go 3-0 if they can beat the Jaguars. After the Jags, the Ravens come home for two games, the first of which is against the Raiders, and then they host the Redskins in the Battle of the Beltways. Check this out on Oakland. Oakland currently has the league's worst defense, yielding 32.5 points per game and 517 yards per game. Plus, by the time they land in Baltimore, they will already have taken three long flights. First to New Orleans, where they won. This weekend, they're in Tennessee. Then they fly back home and come back east to Baltimore. Think about the wear and tear there. So, if the Ravens get by the Jaguars and go to 3-0, the Raiders look like they're a team that can be taken, and they advance to 4-0. And then... The Redskins, who are struggling and doing a little infighting, they come into town, not looking so hot so far. Could the Ravens actually get to 5-0? and They've never done that in their history. Could they get to 5-0? and This week, they're calling the Ravens the worst 2-0 and team in the league. Well, the f- worst 2-0 and team in the league be damned. And as the late Denny Green once said, you are what your record says you are. But first things first, and that's on to Jacksonville. There, the Ravens will see a couple of players that they could have drafted, namely Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack. Ramsey was available in a trade with Dallas on draft day. And for the Ravens to move up those two spots to number four to get Ramsey, it would have cost them their third round pick, which eventually became Bronson Kafusi, who is now on injured reserve. Jack was on the board for the Ravens at number 36, but the Ravens swapped that pick to Jacksonville, and later in the second, they picked up Kamale Correa. Of course, the Ravens used their number one pick on Ronnie Stanley. So far, through two games, Jalen Ramsey is the 49th-rated corner in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. By means of comparison, Jimmy Smith is 42nd. Miles Jack has only 16 snaps so far in 2016. In the future, we'll look back on the three players who became Ravens and the two who did not and have fun comparing. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we will drill down on the Jaguars, and also we'll discuss the NFL touchback rule in my two-minute drill. Don't go away. You are listening to Locked On Ravens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Tony Lombardi with the Russell Street Report, and thanks again for listening. Before the break, we looked ahead and talked about the possibility of the Ravens going 5-0 in the 2016 season. But first things first, and that's the Jaguars. The Ravens will have to take care of business in Jacksonville in order to get to that 5-0 and mark. If they do, history tells us that... of 3-0 teams make the playoffs. And the average number of wins for teams that start 3-0 is 10.8. So what kind of team will the Ravens see when they enter Everbank Field on Sunday? The Jags at this point appear a little nicked up. Their top running back acquired in the offseason, Chris Ivory, practiced with the team for the first time today after a bout with an undisclosed medical illness. And it remains to be seen what kind of workload, if any, he will have. Now, this report, the injury report on Wednesday of those Jaguars who did not participate included cornerback Prince Amakamura. He has a hamstring injury. Tackle Kelvin Beachum was with the Steelers last year and he has a concussion. Safety Jonathan Ciprian. He has a knee and a tricep injury, and then there's defensive end Jarek Odrick, who once played for the Dolphins. He has a tricep injury, and finally, the last player who did not participate today for the Jaguars, again, this is Wednesday, is Allen Robinson, who has an illness. Now, of all the starters, if a goes, the Ravens should definitely test him with speed, and the Ravens have plenty of it right now, with Mike Wallace, with Brashad Perryman, and Chris Moore. They need to test him with speed if he takes the field and make sure that the hamstring is still intact. Ciprian, you'd think that they might test him with a load, with a load of Crockett Gilmore and Dennis Pitta. And as far as Odrick's concerned, coming off the edge, you would think that a tricep injury would limit the number of moves that he can make on either Ronnie Stanley or Rick Wagner, depending on which edge he's coming off of. Robinson, my guess, is the wide receiver Alan Robinson, is that he'll probably go. Now, if Ivory can't go, the Jags will rely on T.J. Yeldon, who so far in 2016 has struggled. He's only averaging 2.4 yards per carry on 28 attempts. Blake Bortles, a very capable quarterback, he hasn't had a great season. He's been up and down. He's had three touchdowns and three interceptions. He has racked up 649 passing yards and a passer rating of 81.2. But those stats are a bit deceiving. The Jaguars last week in San Diego were down 35 nothing after three quarters. So you know that there was some stat padding going on there. Same for the Jags' top receivers, Hearns and Robinson, who both have nine catches, 139 yards for Hearns and 126 yards for Robinson. Now the danger from the Jags' offense might come from Julius Thomas. You may remember how he torched the Ravens back in 2013 as a Bronco. So far in 2016, Thomas has nine catches for 135 yards. Overall, the Jags are ranked 13th offensively and 12th defensively. A few stats, the Ravens are 2-6 overall in Jacksonville, losing two in a row in Jacksonville. And during those two games, get this, they scored a total, you're not hearing this incorrectly, a total of 10 points. So things have got to change there for the Ravens. Some other key stats. Third down is giving the Jaguars fits. On defense, they rank 30th. And on offense, they rank 31st. So maybe the Ravens can win the battle of third down. Special teams between the two are close. And the Ravens hold a plus two edge in turnovers and a three-minute, 40-second edge in average time of possession. So it is a pick 'em game, according to Las Vegas. And with good reason. I expect a nail-biter. We'll have our bold predictions on Russell Street Report on Friday. Now for my two-minute drill. Every year during the off season, the NFL owners, front office execs, and head coaches, along with their numerous committees, gather at some swanky resort in Arizona or California or Florida and discuss league issues with the hopes of resolving them. Each new season arrives with new rules for the officiating crews, even before they're comfortable with the rules from the change from the previous year. It's as if the pinstripes too often suffer from paralysis by analysis because they just aren't sure. And like players, the more you have to think, the less instinctive you are at your job. To this very day, one of the most important aspects of the game, what constitutes a catch of a forward pass? It's still unclear, and interpretations vary from crew to crew. The truth is, they've convoluted the game with so many nuances that whenever a crew goes to the booth for a review of a catch, you may as well flip a coin because despite numerous replays, we still aren't sure what a catch is. Sometimes, you just need to leave well enough alone. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, that's advice the NFL ignores. For the past several years, the disingenuous commissioner has feigned interest in player safety. They moved the kickoff line of scrimmage to the 35 a few years back with the hopes that more teams would kick the ball into the end zone for a touchback and a new set of downs beginning at the receiving team's 20-yard line. The thought was more touchbacks, less contact, fewer injuries, greater player safety. This offseason, they decided to move the receiving team's start to the 25-yard line to which special teams coordinators around the league said, Hold on, not so fast. Now they tried a variety of ways to get receiving teams to field the kick, such as squibs and high-trajectory kickoffs. So the player safety afforded by the touchbacks has now been reversed. Research tells us that the number of kickoffs returned league-wide this year is up 7% so far. So more contact, more risk of injury. Next year, I'm sure they'll change it again with a few other things, maybe to justify their company they kick company-paid vacations at the Breakers or the Ritz. But in the end, we still won't know what a catch is in the National Football League. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Tony Lombardi, and you've been listening to Locked On Ravens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.